Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Karis Classical Academy podcast, which we are bringing back from oblivion. It's been over a year, I believe, but we are so excited to be back and talking about Classical Me, Classical Thee. We're picking our series back up. Today, though, we are going to be doing um, Behind the Drill Latin 2.0. And the reason we're doing that is because we have a special guest. So first, I'll introduce myself. I'm Katie Tuck, and I'm on admin here at Keras. And then Kim, could you introduce yourself? I'm Kim Nielsen. I'm also on admin, um, working with teachers and curriculum. And then I teach um, upper-level sciences. And then Mr. I am uh, Aaron Decker, and I'm teaching Latin this year amongst some other courses. Yeah. Okay. Well, and we're excited to be talking about this. Now, the reason we're bringing this back is because we have Mr. Decker here who is teaching Latin this year for the first time. And he spent a summer um, learning Latin for himself this past summer. And it's been really exciting to see what he's doing in the classroom. Um, So why don't we let you start, Mr. Decker? Um, Why don't you talk about this summer and your experience learning about learning Latin, basically, and uh, your foyer into the first few weeks of teaching. Sure, yeah, it's, it's been a, a fun summer for sure. <laughs> uh, so I want to start with kind of my personal why I got into Latin. Perfect. That's all right. Uh, so there's a short answer and a slightly longer answer that involves 1970s rock bands. So I'm gonna <laughs> st- <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> I'm going to start with a short answer, which I take from Mimo Maxi's book, A New Latin Primer, which isn't that new since it was published in 1933 and now is in the public domain. So I definitely read it over the summer. And she said, things exist written in the Latin language that are worth reading today. And I think that's a great reason for learning mm. it. Yeah. So here's the slightly longer explanation. So you've probably heard of the River Styx, which is the mythological river that separates uh, Hades, the underworld, from the world of the living. And if you haven't heard of that, you've probably at least heard of the 1970s rock band by the same name. (laughs) Styx. You know, uh, I'm Sailing Away. Great Mm -hmm. hit. So this River Styx isn't the only river in Hades. There are, in fact, five. And one of them is called the River Lethe, which is the River of Oblivion. Oh. (laughs) Also, the River Forgetfulness. And the idea in the myth is that you go into Hades and you have to drink from the river of oblivion and you forget uh, things about your life. You even forget who you were. And I think what the myth is getting at is that the kind of final step of death is forgetfulness. And that forgetfulness itself is kind of like a a type of death. So what does that have to do with Latin here? Because you might be thinking death, Latin, you're not making a good case here. (laughs) Uh, Well, I, I think in modernity, we have this problem where Uh, So much of our history has been uh, made not accessible to us, where we don't really think about where we came from. Uh, You know, in years past, people would have family lines that would go back many generations. And and now it's like, well, you know, my name's Aaron. I live in Madison. uh, And that's all there is. And that's kind of a, a type of forgetfulness. We've kind of forgotten the story of our past. And learning Latin is a great way to reacquaint ourselves especially with the language of Western Christendom, because a lot happened over the, you know, 1500 years or so from, let's say, 500 to 2000, you know, modern day. A lot happened in Western Christendom that's worth reading. And if we learn Latin, then we can read those works. Yeah. I think, too, like, I mean, when you were talking, I'm just reminded about... um, you know, my husband loves languages and he often like speak, he speaks French and he's learning Spanish. And 
And part of the reason is because they connect you to a culture, which is kind of what you're saying. Like, even just the process of learning language helps you understand people more from that culture, right? And so Latin would be that same thing. And there's a connection there that I think is, I mean, I loved the beginning of, we talked about this bef- in our podcast before, but the that God is a God of language, right? And so the very process of learning language helps us connect to the very essence of what or who something is. And so that's kind of that tie-in, like this is kind of our foundation. And so learning this language connects you to the culture that we really are derived from and so much of who we are derives from. Definitely. And I think tying into that, if you look at some really influential people like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien who have written stories that people just uh, love and they read, say, Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia or the Ransom Trilogy, and they're like, this really resonates with me. And well, why is that? Well, both of them were medieval scholars. Um, So they were able to tap into that deep history and understanding of kind of the deep magic behind our own culture, if you will. Lewis reference there um, <laughs> to make a story that really resonates uh, with us, even though like we don't have like orcs and elves in our everyday existence, they were able to tap into something fundamental because they understood language. Hmm. So before we get into it a little bit more about you learning Latin and the way you're teaching it, I'm curious as you, ha- you know, a lot about you sold yourself on t- Latin, obviously. So did you dive into the history here while you were like learning about Keras and classical education, or did you dive into the history of the language as you were learning Latin or as you were charged with, you know, I'm going to take over these classes for Latin? Yeah, I think it really started when we uh, uh, had an opening in the Latin position and it's like, well, we need a Latin teacher. And I hear those are a little hard to come by these days. (laughs) Uh, You can't just go down to the five and dime and pick up a couple. Uh, And it seemed like a, a great opportunity for me to pick up a, a language because it's kind of been on the, the to-do list for a while, but there really hasn't been that like reason like, Oh, now I need to spend 400 hours learning a language. Uh, so that was really the, the start of it. And I think the process there was, um, at the end of last school year towards the start of the summer when I, uh, offered to do it, I started looking at, okay, what, you know, Latin is out there. And I came upon, upon this thing called, uh, Stephen Krashen's comprehensible input hypothesis which sounds really fancy. It's a $10 word you can pull out at the dinner table. (laughs) Uh, And he's got like a 20-minute YouTube video, which is uh, a great view. Pretty much what his comprehensible input hypothesis is, is that language is acquired just like you did when you were a kid. That you acquire language by receiving input in that language that you can understand. So when you're a kid, your parents don't start out by reading you Shakespeare or like oh, it's little baby here. I'm going to quote from Milton's Paradise Lost or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead, you're like, ooh, baby, mama, ball, dada. And the kids can understand that, right? And then you go on to like Dr. Seuss books, which have very simple structure and illustrations Mm -hmm. so you can comprehend it. And through just getting a lot of input, you develop the language naturally. That also means you can use it subconsciously. Uh, When we use English, we don't have to think about how we're conjugating things or whatever. Um, so I found as I was doing this, that there's, uh, actually a lot of material out there that you can use that's public domain now. So like that Mima Maxi book, um, was one where it's like, Hey, the stories start out real easy and they get more difficult as the book progresses. So I had a spreadsheet I found online of a bunch of public domain books as well as some other books. 
um, and I just started reading. And then if there was any grammar that was uh, kind of out there, I'd you know consult a grammar textbook like Wheelock's to kind of fill those gaps in and make it more comprehensible. Hmm. You're making a good case for me because, um, you know, our kids read Classical Me, Classical Thee, and I know mm-hmm. I quoted this the last time we did this podcast, but she has this little ditty that my kid picked up on. It was, uh, Latin is a dead le- dead language, dead as dead can be, it killed the ancient ancient Romans, and it's slowly killing me. So you're giving me <laughs> some good fodder to talk to my kids about it. <laughs> 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 one, I have like a two-minute rant, if I can give that on the idea of Latin being a dead language. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's often thrown out of like oh this is a dead language and sometimes people even act like it's literally too hard to learn and even some like classicists do this um i saw one by like a classicist phd basically saying that like kikoro is just too hard for moderns it's impossible to learn is that how you pronounce cicero uh apparently using the kikoronian pronunciation oh, i've never heard that before hmm. okay. cicero kikoro so in the yeah the classical pronunciation the c is always a hard k sound um, and then that changed with the ecclesiastical period. Um, hmm. so you can kind of pick your pronunciation, but if you put anything on YouTube, there will be commenters telling you that you're doing it wrong, no matter what you do. <laughs> that is one thing I learned over the summer. <laughs> Anyhow, Lat being a dead language, <laughs> I don't think is, um, really a useful statement to make because if you look at, uh, what the definition of dead language is, is typically it's given as for a language to be live, it needs to be the native tongue of a people, and it has to be their only language. Which, in the medieval period, most all learned people spoke Latin. It was the intellectual language of Europe, but it was a second language for a lot of them because they'd have their vernacular too. So are we really going to say like, oh, the medieval period, like Latin was dead when everyone's composing like all their, you know, theological and scientific treatises in latin doesn't really make sense Hmm. we'd have to form a country and then not teach our kids any other language which seems kind of silly um and if you're like well for dead it just means if you want to change the boundaries then and say well to be live you just have to have people who can speak it fluently then latin is definitely a live language yeah there are whole conventions you can go to where people agree to speak nothing but latin is that true yeah (gasps) Oh, wow. Can you just go in? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I already bought her tickets. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to link to that YouTube that you mentioned earlier uh, that you know mm-hmm. talks about language. But also, if you if you have a convention, I want to link to it because that'd be interesting. <laughs> I don't have it, any in mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, there are some like YouTube channels that we could link to that's all like uh, simple Latin podcasts and such. Okay. And some of them even have like subtitles and pictures on the screen. So those are real nice. Oh, cool. I have a question for you, Aaron. Like, <coughs> so with this basis of, you know, how you're teaching language is basically more s- similar to how many other foreign languages are taught, as well as how we develop English. Um, but it is a little different than a lot of textbooks. And right where it's so um, structure based, grammar based, and there's vocabulary in there, but usually the reading comes later. So I've really enjoyed hearing your classes and seeing what you're doing. Um, and actually, our students are loving it. Definitely, yeah. And so I think there's something in that, but like, um, were you able to kind of jump in? 
right? So you're doing um, basically our our logic students, right? So you're mm-hmm. starting their seventh graders, Latin. Yep, seventh one, and eighth right? grade. Seventh and eighth. And so are you able to teach that way? Is is there, because they've had more English grammar and because they have had some Latin grammar, or would you kind of teach this way no matter what? Like how do you fit in the grammar is basically how, what I'm saying. And when do you do that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, so I'll start with the, the straightforward answer and then go to a little bit of history because I brought notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think the quick answer uh, to fit in with the idea of comprehensible and well, to fit in with the why of Latin, why we're learning Latin, there's things in Latin that are worth reading. Uh, so we want to be able to read Latin with enough facility where it's, you know, easy enough. I'm not having to look up every vocabulary word or f- yeah, because it, right? it's like, oh, yeah, we're learning natural, Virgil, but right. it takes us an hour to do three lines. It's like, well, that's not, not fun, and you're never going to get through Virgil. Right. Well, even like C.S. Lewis or Dorothy Sayers or Tolkien, like mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I don't know Latin, so I have to either ask my kids or, or look it up. Same right. So even like more, I would say modern, modern classics, yeah. modern, yes. um, like from the 50s and 60s, will, even if it's fiction, right. they will put in whole sections of Latin, just assuming that if you're educated in reading this, you would, you would know, you would be able to read this. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They had to flex a little bit. It reminds me of when I was reading a John Owen book and he just drops into either uh, French, Greek or Latin to make a point at the end of a line. And it was kind of like, well, and he wrote the whole thing when he was like 16 years old. Oh my word. <laughs> like, and we're typing it into, well, you probably aren't, but I would type that into Google translate. Oh, I, was, I was for sure Google <laughs> translating it. Um, uh, so we're we're teaching Latin so that we can read these texts, um, which means we want that comprehensible input so we can subconsciously acquire the language. Um, so the role of grammar then is to make text comprehensible. Mm-hmm. So if we see a construction that we don't understand, that's the time to be like, okay, this is what that means. Um, and particularly where this is I mean, critical is the case system. Uh, so without getting too into the weeds, if I say, like, the boy ate the sandwich and the sandwich ate the boy in English, those are two very different sentences because I changed the word order. Hmm. Uh, Latin doesn't use word order in the same way that English does. Instead, they'll change the ending of the words. So that can be a little uh, tough on folks. If you didn't, if you were given no awareness of that grammar, you'd be like, canis is dog. But now I see canum, and that also means dog. Well, they're different because dog is doing the action and one's receiving it. So we have the grammar because it really makes it click a lot faster. The reason we don't, you know, teach grammar to like three-year-olds is because they don't have enough language to get the grammar concept. So then we just have to give them a bunch more input. So it's kind of a a shortcut in a way um, to make the text more comprehensible. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, I would, I mean, I would say the same thing, like why we teach English grammar, right? We're not, teaching it for grammar's sake so that you sound cool because you can say oh the gerund or the subjective you know subjective clause or something like that but it helps them use and understand the language more deeply and so latin would be just a similar right we teach the Mm -hmm. grammar so that they can use and understand language more clearly exactly so there is a historical element that i think is interesting because uh, it kind of fits with the the classical model of we're going around basically saying we, we have this new idea on doing education and our new idea is to do something that's old. 
mm-hmm. of we're going back to how education was done. And it's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing here with Latin. So I'm taking this from the Forward of Latin by the Natural Method first year, which was first published in 1957. Um, so the Ford starts off by pointing out that during the times of, say, Aquinas uh, in the 1200s, virtually all the education was imparted from Latin textbooks explained by oral Latin. And the chief objective of the teachers, this is a direct quote, was to impart the art of reading, writing, and speaking Latin with facility that it might be used as a means of communicating thought. But he goes on, this entire situation changed from about the 1700 onwards when the vernaculars, meaning textbooks written in German or English or French, whatever country you were in, replaced Latin textbooks as the the media of, of instruction. Hmm. Uh, so then you had Latin departments that kind of still wanted to justify their existence because you could say, well, they don't need all our textbooks are in English or in German now. Um, so then the emphasis became on the grammar itself of the language. Um, so he goes on and says they learned declensions, conjugation, rules of syntax, vocab lists, and grammatical nomenclature. And they repeat, you know, they decoded long, difficult sentences of Caesar and parsed the words. And they were acquiring knowledge about Latin, but not the art of using it with ease as a means of communicating thought. And the idea here is, well, we're going kind of back to how it was taught before, where we're not doing it as, say, uh, a philological specimen that we're dissecting. Uh, (laughs) It's not something, it's not a language where we're just pulling it apart to be like, ooh, look at all the pieces of the sentence, but we're learning it in a way where we can actually sit down with, you know, Caesar and read what he has to say, Mm -hmm. or we can sit down with Aquinas or some of the stories of the Middle Ages and actually uh, understand how they felt and wrote about things mm-hmm. rather than kind of filtering that through our our modern preconceptions hmm. it makes a lot of sense when you're talking about like even the pedagogy of how you're teaching right like we talk about we talked about literature is the next chapter in classical me classical the but like how important it is to have the synthesis first right they understand the whole and there's more beauty in understanding the whole first and then to like maybe think more deeply, sometimes I analyze or break it apart. But mm-hmm. if I just dissect or analyze first, it kind of kills the beauty of the whole thing, right? So um, one of my favorite illustrations of that, Andrew Kern uses a puppy. So if you like puppies, Uh-oh, you not might not want to listen to this Not the puppy illustration. I, was, <laughs> I think I was thinking this one, but I was like, I'm not going to say that on a podcast. Oh, I can say it. Okay. <laughs> but you know, like, the joy of a puppy is the full puppy and experiencing the whole thing. And so Andrew Kern uses this example of like a Christmas present. Um, We're all cringing like already. Part, parts of the puppy, right? Like right. there's learn things that we can learn. I'm a science teacher, so I really do. Like I think we learn by dissection, but the we have to understand the whole first. And so maybe that was too graphic. <laughs> For the podcast, sorry. No, um, it's totally fine. It's a great illustration. Katie said she was not. Are you sure you're not going to edit anything? I might. Maybe no, she I'm might edit this part out. <laughs> but um, but I love that, um, Mr. Decker, Aaron. Um, <laughs> this that that helps me understand why you're teaching it the way you are, and why our students are just really. I mean, talking about your class and really loving um, the first couple of weeks, even. So. I'm sure Katie has more questions, but Mike, if you could just give us an example or a sample of maybe one of what your classes look like and what this looks like in action. Uh, sure. 
so kind of with that uh, holistic view, like you were talking about, one of the things we want to do is avoid what's called domain dependence in our learning. And domain dependence just means you can do something when you're in one particular spot, but then if you move to a new situation, you can't do the same thing. Um, and, you know, that happened to me when I was learning over the summer because I spent all my time reading, reading, reading. I got the, the comprehension part, and then it was a couple weeks before school. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. So well prepared. <laughs> so well prepared. I was like, okay, I need to, like, come in and ask questions in Latin. And it was like, you know, actually, this is kind of difficult. I could read these sentences, but I can't effortlessly produce them. Hmm. So then that was a lot of time with me wandering around in my living room with various props being like, Hickest gladius. Gladium habeo. This is a sword. I have a sword. And, you know, well, I'm just going like to a little aside here. You have a sword in your living room? Well, it's a little letter opener. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're okay. trying to draw in yeah, vocabulary that you have. That's so good. the Romans like their swords. Yeah, they, true. Yeah, They're true. For sure. So describe like a maybe a typical class. I know it's only been a few weeks, but describe mm-hmm. kind of a typical class and what, what that looks like. Yeah, so we'll usually start with a little game called Simonus Dicet, which is Simon Says in Latin. Uh, and that's, well, it's, the kids love it. Cause, they you know, do. Simon's they love a, it. They actually, like, demand that I play it now. Because <laughs> I'm like, okay, take out your homework. And they're like, uh, Simonus Dicet? <laughs> Fine. Uh, uh, so that one's really useful because um, it covers the uh, uh, imperative mm-hmm. in Latin. So the idea of, you know, touch the desk, look at the door, that kind of thing. Plus it's, uh, you know, emphasizes uh, fluidity of the language because you're not looking at a glossary. You're like, oh, I need to touch my head. Tangite kaput, tangite ulnam, touch your head, touch your arm, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so we'll do that for a little while and then we'll go over the, the homework. So those come in some varieties. We are uh, using the Wheelock textbook. So usually we'll go through the uh, exercises and the um, ancient sentences that they have, which is like, uh, they'll, they'll pull out single sentences from the <laughs> ancient authors, uh, which I think is really neat. And that's a feature of the Wheelock's textbook. I really like is like chapter one, you're reading like Kikoro and you're like, yeah, this is pretty cool. Kikoro. Um, okay. Kikoro's I'm really thrown off here. Yeah. <laughs> Seneca. Maybe I'll just start really mispronouncing names. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Uh, so we'll do that. There are also these little stories, uh, I've written for the students that use the vocab from the chapter. Um, so those are fun. So we'll usually go about and I'll have each person read one sentence in as dramatic a fashion as possible and, uh, then give a brief English translation. So we'll go around and then those have comprehension questions. Uh, and usually the, the comprehension questions themselves are like super obvious. It's just they're in Latin. Yeah. So if I say like, you know, Marcus, uh, Weirgum Hobbit, Marcus has a stick, then the question will be like, uh, Hobbit nay, Marcus Weirgum, does Marcus have a stick? Mm. So it's not like, you know, deep thinking here about the subject matter, but you get the Latin of, you get to parse it and then write it. Yeah. Right. And you're u- using it right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've also got these little uh, sheets of questions that have like just, you know, kind of fun clip art or images that I found that then I ask questions about. Um, so like one that's coming up is a, a little, uh, a plate with legs and a spoon with legs and hands, and they're like holding hands and walking along because you know the fork ran away with the spoon. I guess. <laughs> um, so that's good vocab. So then I, you know, I can ask, you know, does this, the plate love the spoon and kind of things. <laughs> that's uh, great. You also brought some of your gar- garden bounty. That's the one I really heard about. 
Oh, yeah. I had way too many tomatoes one day. <laughs> so I was like, today we are learning the word leekopersicum, which means tomatoes. And then, you know, I'd go around and ask, um, uh, debeone edere um, leekopersicum, should I eat the tomato? And then the students could say yes or no, and then I'd eat the tomato. Or I'd ask, like, do you want to eat the tomato? And then, you know, hand out the tomatoes. Wasn't the tomato a prize for something as well? Uh, I don't think so. I think they, they just, all got one. Though. I think they just oh, they had, all got one. Only the ones who said eat a um, oh. wolo leekopersicum. Oh. Like, yes. Because some of them were like, no, no, wolo leekopersicum. I don't want the tomato. Oh. I think the first couple were scared about what having the tomato would entail. <laughs> <laughs> which is understandable and some but... <laughs> didn't want to eat it they just like uh drew little faces on it and carried it around the rest of the day <laughs> well it was a good learning it was experience a memorable lesson totally and yeah. they still learn they still know the word today yeah so yes. right that's great i love that you're making latin come alive right so um i love the thought that, that you've put into it um thank you for all the I mean, the effort and learning, what a great example for our students of, right? I think that's encouraging for them that it's not that you just were a Latin scholar and then come in and teach, right? You you learned this this summer, and so you're learning along with them. But I think the amount of effort and fun that you're putting into it is really helping our students just love learning. And so even just the example of being willing to learn a new language, which most people think is fairly difficult, right? Um, that you are willing to continue learning um, at a really high level. And so thank you for all the effort. And I wish maybe we could do a little link to just, I love seeing um, your vocabulary and all the stories that you put in. They're, they're really beautifully done mm. too. Yeah. Um, and so I think that just speaks volumes to our students. So I don't, do you have any other questions? No. Do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I'll just wrap it up by saying I think we should definitely link to resources. Um, there's a ton out there. Um, and they're the kind of thing where, like, there's a lot of easy stories that, you know, if you've got a computer that can open PDFs, which is every computer nowadays, mm -hmm. you can read these, you know, Latin primers from back in the day, and they'll have little stories. Some of them are uh, better than others. Mm -hmm. I think the, the most fun example of one of those is uh, one where the premise was that, you know, we forced the Latin or the Roman history in too much. So we're going to do something from pop culture that the kids are going to want. And this book was in 1903. So their <laughs> pop, oh. pop culture, and it was published in Britain. So their pop culture was the Boer War. <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal. <laughs> Which is like, oh, yeah, this is really going to register with the students <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. Like, that's always what they're asking me about. But yeah, uh, pull in that one. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's it. And the other um, thing is that especially a lot of the medieval Latin is pretty accessible, like the Vulgate mm -hmm. Bible in particular, mm -hmm. like, you don't need to spend that long studying Latin before you can at least understand some of it, especially because yeah. you already know the stories. Um, so that's where I'd probably start, start with something fun like the Vulgate and uh, which is the Latin Bible. And then, you know, YouTube links that we'll post that kind of thing. Yeah. Sounds that great. sounds great. Yeah. We'll definitely post those. And um, thank you so much for all this great information. I've learned quite a bit actually in this last 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, we'll put those recommendations on our link. We'll link to those, but also I would recommend that you read Classical Me, Classical Thee as well. This is just a quick little snippet about, you know, behind the drill Latin, but it's been a real encouragement um, to me and 
well, I say to our students, but I think it's a good, it's a good read for sure. So thank you so much, Mr. Decker. Thank you, Mrs. Nielsen. And we will see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.